Awesome, man. Sounds good. Cool. All right, ladies and gents. So welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I am lucky enough to be joined by Tim Rowland, the head honcho at Physio Network, SNC and physiotherapist extraordinaire. Uh, we just can't get enough of him. I've been on already a couple of podcasts personally with him and he's got a wealth of knowledge and I'm really keen and excited to, to pick his brain a bit and share, share the knowledge. So thank you for, for coming on, Tim. Hey, it's a pleasure. I can't wait to rip in. Yeah. So uh, tell me, first of all, um, I've had a few questions about physios and EPs looking to get into the strength and conditioning world. Um, so how did, how did your journey start with, with the strength and conditioning and, and what was the process to get to where you are now? Well, I, I guess mine was quite a personal journey in that my interest in strength and conditioning sort of sparked when I, I taught my own ACL mm. um, when I was in the first year of uni. And so obviously as part of that, you do a lot of strength rehab and, and strength and conditioning work. And I, I became fascinated by it all throughout my whole rehab process. And that sort of sparked the, the interest in doing further, further study. And I, I found myself sort of reading more and more about S&C stuff um, during my physio degree rather than you know, necessarily traditional physio topics. And I sort of realized that maybe my passion does lie a bit more in, in exercise rehab and, and strength and conditioning than it does in, you know, your more traditional pure physio topics. So I just ended up realizing, look, I, I'm really serious about this. I want to follow up my, my physio degree with a master's in, in high performance sport. So I did that after I, after I graduated physio and, and now I'm sort of like a, a fake physio and, and, and more just to exercise rehab and function, probably a bit more like an EP. Um, than anything and then also do a lot of strength and conditioning work so yeah that's that's sort of my story awesome and and with the the masters you do you go straight into the clinic space what was the journey like in between the masters to to now so yeah when i finished physio i i decided to um pretty much launch straight into the masters because i knew what i wanted to do I, i knew i loved strength and conditioning i wanted to be able to get into that space asap so Whilst I was studying uh, my master's, I did some physio work with some sports teams, just some sports coverage-based stuff. And then at the end of my master's, when I had a bit more time, I, I launched into a, a couple of different roles. I, I did strength and conditioning with a, a couple of semi-pro rugby teams. And then I was in a clinic as a physio um, called Move, Train, Perform, which is a very, very movement-based clinic, which I, I loved. I, know I wouldn't, wouldn't want to ever work in a, in a physio clinic that, that wasn't very uh, exercise-focused. So... Um, yeah, I ended up doing doing physio physio there for a while, um, whilst whilst doing my SNC with sports teams, and then ended up in the last couple of years um, moving out of MTP into Athletes Authority, which is a uh, you know a really high performance facility where a lot of semi professional athletes come, and and that's where I've niched into my ACL rehab over the last couple of years out of there. So yeah, that's sort of how how my story's progressed. Awesome, and you've kind of worked your way up to the top. You kind of knew what you wanted to do. You knew you were interested in strength conditioning, so you seeked out those kind of roles and those environments to, to build you up. Yeah, I think I think it's really important as a you know as a practitioner in any discipline, whether it's EP or physio. I think you need to really chase what you want to do. I don't think you should settle for just taking jobs that you know aren't who you are and then doing them for years on end. I think you know you need to be forthright and really look look for the jobs you want and and seek them out and be. You know, and be willing to say no to jobs if they're not for you and, and, and have the confidence to, to really, really shoot for, for, for that sort of work that you really enjoy every day. So that's definitely something I've, I've followed. That's gold because, yeah, you definitely hear a lot of struggles with new grads and clinics that maybe they don't really agree with the way it's set up or um, they're having troubles kind of 
creating their own path or working with their own, their own kind of ideas of how rehab should work. So yeah, very, very relevant to today's topics and, and discussions online, I'm sure. And with your looking back when you had, um, you were fresh out of uni, what kind of goals did you have back then career-wise and what kind of goals do you have now comparatively? Yeah, I guess when I first started physio, I was, you know, keen on, on pretty much just being a traditional physio. I wasn't, I wasn't really as aware of or knew much about the strength and conditioning realm. So I guess my job, my, my dream, like, like almost every physio, it's funny, you know, um, in one of the first uni lectures in physio, the, the lecturer always asks, oh, so who wants to work with a professional sporting team? And then about 80 to 90% of people put their hands up and then they tell you probably one or two of you at best will end up doing that and everyone's dreams get crushed. But that, that was me. I was, I was, you know, when I first started physio, I was like, I want to work with a pro sports team. And, and now my goals are, are still towards that, but more, probably more in, in the strength and conditioning space now or, or what's, what's termed a, a rehab coach in a pro team, which is kind of like the bridge between the physio and the S&C. And a lot of EPs often do get those roles too. So that's sort of still a, real, a really high goal of mine. Um, but I'm also very content with where I'm at with a few things happening at the moment, as, as you know. But yeah, my, my ACL clients are going really well. So I'm really stoked to just keep building on my ACL um, experience and then also with physio network it's going going really nicely so very busy with that too and then and then working with semi-pro rugby team so my goals at the moment are just to keep you know pushing on with those things and, and if an opportunity with a pro team arises I, I definitely would take it but um, I'm not I'm not hunting it with every ounce of my being at the moment because I've got a lot a lot of things happening and more than content with what, what's happening at the moment so yeah. yeah it sounds like you're progressing in different areas and different fields and you're just kind of, you're not necessarily waiting for anything, for any opportunity. You're just going to keep going and yeah. it'll kind of not, probably, not yeah. It comes if you wait anyway, especially yeah. in the process. You need to be uh, aggressive uh, in yeah. terms of and, and meet, knowing all the right people and, and, and timings also. It's a bit of luck involved with timing of things, but yeah, nothing will, nothing will come to those who wait. You need, to, you need to work hard for what you want really at the end of the day. And, and on that note with the, um, the kind of working your way up to the top, I know there's been a few kind of controversies around internships for SNC coaches. Um, a few have been kind of maybe not ideal situations work-wise, but then the, on the other side, you'd get the need for kind of building your name and reputation and getting some experience under your belt. What's your, your kind of take on the, the role of internships for yeah, SNC coaches? Yeah, definitely a controversial topic. I'm sure mm. you've seen a couple of those job those internships be posted by pro teams that were unpaid and wanted you to have an exercise science degree and even like one or two years experience and all that and just be completely unpaid full time for a whole year. And I think it's great now that, that those roles are being called out because more often than not, pro teams do have the money to be able to pay someone like that. It's just, they're just trying to skimp on it, which isn't, which isn't fair at all. But, but having said all of that, I, I do think there is a role for internships, but the most important thing, thing is that the intern has to get something really quality back if they're going to give up their time to be there and help for you know many many hours every week there needs to be a really strict curriculum in place and they need to really get a lot out of it and it needs to be really formal learning and it needs to be essentially a reciprocal relationship and unfortunately a lot of internships these days um you know the intern is a little bit like slave labor and there isn't a really nice education system in place for the intern so um, I definitely think that the, you know, the unpaid internship isn't, shouldn't be dead in the waters completely. I think that as long as there is something really valuable that they can get out of it, 
and that it's not pitched towards people who you know do have a few years experience already it should really be pitched towards those new grad new graduates or even final year uni students so yeah that's sort of my take on it all yeah it's like a way for them to get some mentorship and actual practical coaching experience uh, yeah. prior to the full qualifications or prior to you know getting out into the the real world so i think that's, that's great yeah it's got to be marketed towards the, the the freshies the new grads as opposed to you know people who have already had years yeah, of experience under their belt i've even seen a couple that wanted you to have like a master's preferably for an unpaid internship it's crazy but yeah anyway <laughs> one side of the industry i'm not too fond of yeah and moving on to to your expertise the the acl guy so acl uh, rehab we've got um we've got a little bit of debate i know we've mentioned this before but there's an ongoing kind of twitter war i feel between a few of the the camps the, the surgical route versus the conservative route so we've got a few surgeons and physios battling it out on twitter uh be interesting to hear your take uh for the audience on when is conservative management kind of indicated and when should the conservative kind of extremists start looking into maybe some surgical help yeah i think you said it well yourself then my take on it all is you cut like you shouldn't land on either end of the complete end of the spectrum it's often as like everything it's an it depends situation and never is there you should have an absolute stance on on the topic it should never be surgery is always needed or it should never be surgery is never needed it's it's an it depends and and we're learning more and more about the factors that do indicate whether you should or shouldn't get surgery, but there's still going to be lots to learn in that space over the next five to 10 years. But, but some of the things we do know so far that indicate that you, you might be a coper and, and not need surgery are um, some of the things that research has shown uh, females, for whatever reason, we don't know why yet, tend to respond better to, to not needing surgery. Um, the older you are too, is also a, um, you know, a positive sign, like older people tend to go better without surgery than really young people. Um, the level of your physical function in the first few weeks after the actual injury, so that's a really good sign. If you're someone like, for example, one of my guys who I got back to playing um, three months from the day of surgery and, and returned to sport successfully, two weeks after his ACL rupture, he was doing single leg um, goblet squats to 90 degrees to, to a box and just pumping them out with no problems at all. So that was quite a good sign that he, you know, he's responding well. Um, and then also I think that the biggest thing at the end of the day is what are you trying to get back to? Because obviously there's a whole bunch of different demands on the knee and different activities. If, if you just want to get back to, you know, going to the gym and, and running in, in straight lines and, you know, doing long distance running and that, you really should be able to get good enough rehab to not need the surgery for that. But if you're trying to get back to, you know, an agility-based pivoting sport, then there's going to be a few more question marks on whether you will cope well. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that there's a few factors that I mentioned there. But I think the most important thing is unless you're in a massive rush for whatever reason to guarantee that you can, you know, and there's never guarantees anyway, but to massively, you know, have little doubt you can be back around that nine month mark to 10 month mark then i think most people should go for the for the non-surgical route at the start give it a go for a few months and then reassess where you're at because i, I think we'll find more and more that you know you get to that point after you've done four months rehab and you're going i actually feel really good and i don't think i need this surgery anymore and that's not happening enough at the moment uh, it's still the default response where you do your acl and someone asks you oh when are you going for surgery it's just the standard next question which isn't the way it should be at all i think you know with everyone i work with i always recommend a period of non-surgical 
and then see how they're coping and then you know gradually progress them back to what they want to be able to do and and sure if they have if they have frequent instability episodes and they're, and they're not handling it well then okay let's refer to the surgeon it's not it's not going well but there's 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 not really any reason why you wouldn't try the non-surgical in the first place like if you can avoid a surgery another which is another traumatic event to the knee you know drilling through the the bone and all that stuff if you can avoid that in the first place why 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 wouldn't you i mean it's the same same principle we take with every other area of the body like try to avoid surgery at all costs why is it that the acl all of a sudden is not just surgery 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 so yeah that's sort of my take on it all mate yeah so you'd go through the four months of conservative rehab quality rehab which yep. we talked about in previous podcasts um yep. to make sure that at least they're highly prepared for the surgery if if they get the surgery and it sounds like you yeah. go through like how they present how they manage their symptoms what they need to get back into i didn't hear any um like looking at the scan necessarily or what's your take on like meniscal yeah, so involvement that's, that's, another, yeah. that's another good um a good little indicator as whether someone will cope well or not is is the severity of the concomitant injuries to the knee at the same time so if you have a clean acl rupture and, and no other damage then they're more likely to go well non-surgically than someone who has had you know a bad meniscal tear and a, a bad mcl at the same time as well so that's another really important factor i'm glad, glad you brought that up i forgot to mention that one um but yeah yeah definitely we can't just um Again, can't be on the extreme ends of the of the spectrum of surgery versus conservative. And 100%. in terms of um, early loading for for ACL, um, what would be your go tos first few first we'll say first month? Yeah, is this is this post surgery? Ah, yeah. Let's go. Let's go post injury and then first surgery if we've got the time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I think every in like every injury is obviously going to be slightly different in terms of whether there is a concomitant injury or not. So. The, the, the most important thing is that you are try, it's a bit of a trial and error process with the patient. You see what they are you know, comfortable and capable of doing. Um, you know, for example, it just all depends on the person. Let's say I get someone who's done their ACL um, and I'm trying to manage them non-surgically and they have no real background in strength training for whatever reason versus someone like I mentioned before, my rugby player who did it at the very end of preseason and he was in peak physical condition and he's done a whole preseason and has done weights training for years. Obviously, I might be able to get him doing slightly more advanced things within his tolerable limit than someone who you know, has never done strength training before. So it really depends. But let's say you've got someone who is quite active and does have experience with resistance training. Um, obviously, there's no, there's no formula. You're just going to trial trial different exercises, see how they feel on the patient, see how they're moving and whether they, you know, are consciously offloading that area and favoring the other side because you don't want to, you don't want to be putting them to an exercise where, you know, they're just favoring and loading up their unaffected side because that just reinforces, you know, bad, bad movement patterns for, you know, just general motor control. Um, so I think normally just closed chain exercises are normally just generally tolerated a bit nicer straight after an injury. Um, just because we know there is small amounts of movement you get in the knee joint with certain ranges of movement in open kinetic chain. So I just find that they're, they're a bit nicer and more tolerated on the knee. So things like split squats, squatting, RDLs, leg press, all, all normally are, are, are fine to go to in, in that, first, um, that first month after, after injury. As soon as that, obviously that initial pain and uh, you know, in the first few days, first five days or so after the injury has happened, I, I normally don't have any problems with starting. Um, with those exercises and starting light, common sense build up and, and gradually gradually overload from there. So yeah, that, that'd be some of my go-tos. And, and they're not too dissimilar to 
after surgery, it's just obviously that they're, they're at a lower point in the initial point after surgery. It might take it might take two or three weeks before they get back to doing those things after surgery because they're going to have a lot more swelling normally, a lot more pain normally, way worse range of movement. That's a really big one. Like they tend to have a lot a lot worse range of movement after surgery than they do at the same point after after not getting surgery. So um, yeah, you just got to look at just like any patient really. You look at what you know, assess them, see what they can and can't do, look at their range of movement and, and give them appropriate exercise for what, what stage they're at and what their training history is and, and build them up from there. Yeah, depending on their, like you said, their physical capacity before the injury and mm. how they're managing the symptoms. And in terms of the range of motion, what's your kind of go-tos? I know some people prefer certain you know, degrees of flexion before loading. Do you kind of load according to the degrees they have at the moment? What's your... I do. I load yep. it according to the degrees they have. Uh, that's the simplest way to, to do it. And obviously, if the mm. degrees they have are not where you want it to be, you give them a supplementary exercise to try to work on that range. But if you're going to load them relatively heavily, then you just do it in the ranges they do have. You don't really want to don't want to force a knee that's recently injured into into range under load, in my opinion, in, in that early stage. Um, obviously. Later on, you can force it a bit more. But when it's a bit angry still, probably best is just do a different exercise to work on range and then work more heavily in the range of movement you do have. Mm, I think that's important. The second part is still working within the range as opposed to waiting and not doing any kind of um, resistance training at all, strengthening the available ranges. I think I, I've seen a few like poor quality rehab in my, in my days. I don't know your experience with that. Yeah, unfortunately, just in general, mate, a lot of uh, ACL rehab is, is, isn't the best quality. A lot of that's either down to the facilities that the, the, the physio EP has available to them, but a lot of that's also down to knowledge too. And, and you know, it's, it's a whole new ball game after you get past that, you know, two to three month mark where it becomes more, more basic strength and conditioning and then, and then progressive strength and conditioning from there. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of the time physios are, are limited by either their facility or their knowledge. So... Um, it's important that we let our egos go and sometimes refer on to someone that ha- does have more knowledge in that area or does have the facilities to be able to work with, with that person. So, mm. Absolutely. Gold, gold. Definitely need to know that. And with um, all the ACL info out, thanks to you guys at Physio Network, and I know you're doing a course coming up soon, so, and Mick Hughes is another big player in the field. There's definitely the information out there. We just need to get into it, really. And 100%. There's no excuses these yeah. days. The amount of information that's online is, is, is it's too much. So you, mm. you can't keep up with all of it, let, let alone not having enough out there. So if you're really keen on being, you know, being knowledgeable in a certain space, do your research. You can find everything online and you can, you can, you can learn it and then implement it with your patients. So, yeah, it just depends how motivated you are at the end of the day. Mm. And on final note, with, um, in terms of the continuing education, uh, what advice would you give to people kind of two, three, four years out, out as a, on the field to, to keep up their, their education and keep up the upskilling? Yeah, sure. So I normally always recommend for, you know, for people like at the end of their uni degree or, or a new grad, there's so much you're just learning day to day, you know, when you start your first job and even that final year of uni, I think it's just important to be focusing on, on just absorbing all of that in and it's hitting you all at once. But yeah, as soon as you are that sort of two, three, four years out, then, you know, you, you feel a bit more comfortable in your role and, you know, the, the learning on the job is still, it's still happening every day, obviously, but it's a little bit less intense than that first year out you have where it's just like, you feel like you don't know what you're doing. So yeah, I, I think there's, there's many different avenues you can use these days. I think, 
if you honestly, if you follow the right people on social media um, and the and the right pages, you're going to get hit with a ton of information daily, which is fantastic. But a lot of that is is like relatively surface level content obviously being social media there's not much depth to it but it can keep you across a lot of topics on the on a surface level pretty well by doing that so i think that's a really powerful tool and i'm a big proponent of social media because you know a lot of people pay it out but i think it's it's amazing what you can learn these days on on social media that's a huge one um and obviously something like physio network is for those who want to go a bit more in depth on different topics and and learn a bit more than just sort of like the surface level or the abstract type information. So um, yeah, that that's that's obviously something that you know even even if I wasn't involved with the company, I think I think it's a, a great tool that you can use to just keep up to date across a lot of different MSK topics. Um, and so yeah, physio network's a great one. Um, there's obviously online lectures out there with lots of different companies that are running those, um, including physio network. We just started those a couple of weeks ago ourselves. Um, but it really depends on what medium you like to use to learn. Like a lot of people like to listen and therefore podcasts are awesome for that. A lot of people like to um, watch videos and therefore online lectures are awesome for that. If you like to read and then there's plenty of research out there and, and then our physio network research reviews will tick that off too. Um, so yeah, it really depends on, on, on how you like to learn and, and what space you want to learn more about. So for example, like an SNC coach, if you want to learn more about SNC, go shadow an SNC coach and get some practical hands-on experience. I think that's probably the number one thing you could do if you want to learn more about SNC is to actually go, actually go shadow a good SNC. That's going to be better than anything you read online or, or watch online. Be there, see it in the flesh. So that's another option for people too. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think you touched on a few good points. <clears throat> God, I'm losing my voice here. Uh, we've got the um, keeping up to date, just surface level, follow the good people. And then finding out what it is that you actually want to upskill in and maybe go in a little bit more in depth with masterclasses like you guys have with online lectures and with just reaching out to, to mentors. I think that's a, the big one from my experience as well with actually shadowing people or just going through the process. You can't just, yeah. you can't learn how to ride a bike by reading a book. That's right. You can learn, you can only learn so much in, in theory and then you need to start applying it and then you realize you realize how you need to tweak things and that's when the learning really does take place so for sure awesome tim it's been an absolute pleasure uh, there's definitely some gems there that both new grads and also some of the uh, lazy second and third and fourth years could probably <laughs> take a look at the that last few five minutes um so really appreciate your time i know you're about to jet off overseas you're a busy man you've got like 28 jobs i lost <laughs> count um so thank you for your time and if people can want to find you what would you where can they find yeah. you? If you're interested in ACL rehab, um, definitely my Instagram account would be the one to follow there. So that's um, underscore the ACL guy there. Um, and then if you're interested in, in a bit about Physio Network, a bit about ACL and just, you know, following the sort of stuff I put out there generally, I'm probably most active on Facebook. So just add me on there. I've, I, you know, I'm very, very active on Facebook. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess if you're interested in just, MSK and, and rehab related content daily. Um, obviously there's heaps of pages, but Physio Network is, is one we, we post daily, uh, something valuable for physios and EPs there. So we have an Instagram and a Facebook you can follow for Physio Network too. So yeah. Awesome, plenty of tips there. So Tim, thank you so much for your time again. Until the next yeah. time, man. Until the next time you're in the country. Good to chat, mate. Yeah, all the best, man. See ya. Bye.